Uh, it was such an honor and privilege to have my next guest on the show, Craig Sawman Sawyer, stopped by the podcast. Now, Craig grew up near Houston, Texas, and got his tactical start in the U.S. Marine Corps. He quickly transitioned to the U.S. Navy to pursue high-level special operations as a U.S. Navy SEAL. Now, as an operator on the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, DevGrew, this is otherwise known as SEAL Team 6, Craig gained critical combat experience that is now being utilized to protect those who cannot protect themselves. Because of his experience as a federal criminal investigator, Craig is uniquely qualified to run joint sting operations with law enforcement agencies everywhere. Sawman is now dedicating his life to raising awareness about the epidemic of child sex trafficking, rescuing victims, and putting predators behind bars. I had the opportunity to spend some time with Sawman down at Conclave in December, and he is the real deal. Sawman created Vets for Child Rescue, which you're going to hear about on the show. Craig Sawman Sawyer, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Patrick here, whatever you are doing, wherever you are at. Thank you for spending a little bit of your valuable time with me. That's why we continue to grow. Thank you so much. Big shout out to all our brave men and women out there working in the criminal justice field, whatever you are doing. Thank you for doing it. Remember, you are cherished and you are loved. Keep doing the fantastic job you're doing. And remember, you have much support. Big shout out to our sponsor, Detecticam. This amazing and innovative company is protecting our most valuable resource, and that is the people who protect us every day. Mobile threat detection available for the palm of your hand, detecting illicit drugs, explosives. Detecticam does it all. If you want to know more about this amazing company, head over to cjevolution.com. Click on the link to Detecticam and see how they can help you protect your troops better. Folks, if you're in charge of your organization or department's extra duty program and you feel overwhelmed because you got other stuff going on, other assignments, other tasks, other priorities, and now you're managing or trying to manage your extra duty program, folks, my good friends at Extra Duty Solutions can help you. Extra Duty Solutions helps law enforcement agencies add efficiency and effectiveness to their extra duty programs. They can help with client interactions, scheduling, invoicing, collections, officer payments, problem resolution, and their services. This is the best part are provided at no cost to the department and a minimal cost to the clients and their programs can be customized to meet the goals and unique needs of any law enforcement agency if you head over to extradutysolutions.com extradutysolutions.com see how they can help you with your extra duty program and tell them patrick from the cj evolution podcast sent you on to the show with craig sawman sawyer Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Super excited to have my next guest on the show, Craig Sawman Sawyer. Welcome, sir. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's a privilege. Well, I had the honor and privilege of meeting you, sir, down at uh, Conclave of Warriors uh, at the beginning of December. And I was really amazed, brother, about you know, your keynote uh, and the amazing things you're doing for children uh, all around the world. But really quick, sir, and I always like to ask, uh, you worked on the federal level, law enforcement. Uh, you were in the military, obviously. What made you join the service, sir? What was the catalyst? I came from Southern Texas and it's very patriotic and military service minded uh, demographic there. And I also found that I was able to make a difference on the football field as a defensive captain of a 5A high school football team. 
I felt like I had a little more horsepower there where I could assert myself aggressively. And that kind of shaped my, my character in that way. And I had a junior high Sunday school teacher that taught us about the warrior in the Bible, King David, and all that he accomplished. And I just thought, man, that's a pretty good contribution to make to the world. Stop the bad guys from invading your homeland and disturbing the peace and ruining the sanctuary that uh, everybody that I love enjoys. So that's really kind of what, what drove me to do that. Yeah. And I know your father, you know, God rest his soul was, it was a huge influence uh, in your life. And you talked about him uh, at conclave and uh, sorry for you lost him, sir. And, but I know you were a Marine before what made you say, all right, I want to go be a Navy SEAL. Well, I went into the Marine Corps to become one of their force recon operators. I wanted to be in a special operations unit. Mm -hmm. And the Marine Corps is the hardest and most disciplined service branch of them all. And I thought, well, what better than to be the hardest service branches special operations unit? So yeah. I was drawn to the Marine Corps for that reason. It wasn't until I got into the Marine Corps that I realized that they did not have any funding or political backing or mission at that time. This was in the early 80s mm -hmm. for Force Recon. So the Marines there said, man, Saul, you should have gone to the Navy because the Navy SEALs have all the toys, the political backing, and the missions. Yeah. And I realized, well, I'm going to have to go there if I want to actually operate and and do the work that i joined the military to do so that's what drove my my transition now was it tough to do that back then or you know was it tough to make that transition I and mean, how, how did that work if you don't mind me asking it was tough they said it couldn't be done and so uh -huh. i chuckled at them <laughs> said you don't know who you're dealing with i can do anything I want. <laughs> They didn't realize just how stubborn I was. I had yeah. to get all the way out. I ended up um, doing a medical discharge from the, the Marine Corps and then wrote my congresswoman in Texas and told her what was on my heart. I want to go serve. Here's where I want to go. And this is what I want to go do. And so she uh, sent a letter and said, yeah, you're, you're free. Go, go yeah. do your thing and, and Godspeed. And uh, so that's when I reapplied and uh, put my paperwork and went into the Navy and uh, started from scratch and went straight on up through a boot camp and uh, 10 months of A school up in Chicago, highly yeah. <laughs> specialized tech school. And, uh, and then went to BUDS and, and SEAL Team 1 and got picked up for uh, DevGrew after operations in Desert Storm and uh, spent most of my time there at uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group yeah. doing stuff that we don't talk about. Yeah. It was a fantastic ride. Now, I mean, you, I'm sure you get questions like this all the time. Now, what was the toughest um, aspect of, of going through BUDS and then getting selected for DevGrew with SEAL Team 6, for people who don't know? What was the toughest thing going through SEAL training? I mean, I, I've heard that the only easy day was yesterday. I mean, what, what was the toughest thing for you, sir? Well, I, I was a, was a tough-minded young man. I uh, mm -hmm. grew up boxing, playing football, riding dirt bikes, and and you know, fighting on the playground and all these kinds of things. And uh, I was into operating. I was, I was mentally hard. I was in physically, I was in, in pretty great shape. And I, I didn't know what my toughest spot would be, but I just knew that it, there would come a time when it was going to challenge me for all I was worth. And my thing ended up being 
the timed swims, the timed open swims. I loved them, but my my left ankle had been injured so many times in football and in other accidents growing up that I could not get the torque needed to propel me forward at the speed to be really effective uh, to make my timed swims. So during buds, I had set a couple records on the obstacle course. Mm -hmm. I was doing great at the runs. I was top of the class as, uh, as far as shooting went. I was very motivated. Um, but the swims were killing me. So it was not only physically very demanding. So for a two-mile open ocean swim, I was pouring my heart and soul into that swim for every second mm -hmm. of the entirety of that swim until I would either barely pass or barely fail by a couple of seconds, the cutoff at the end of that swim. And if you didn't make the cutoff time, they sent you after training all day, they sent you over to the pool across the oh, uh, other side of the base <laughs> at night to be punished in remedial swim. So then you're swimming uh, for another couple hours with your mask full of water, uh, with your camouflage uniform on, and you're swimming with your boots in your hands doing butterfly or your pants in one hand, shirt in the other, or you're on your back with your hands out of the water and you swim, race from one side to the other until your head hits the concrete wall. That's how you know you're there or you have to swim the length of the yeah. pool and back um, without coming up until you pass out. And it was just, it was intended to strengthen you as a swimmer, but more importantly, strengthen your resolve to put out on those swims. Well, my yeah. problem was, it wasn't that I was not putting out maximum effort. It, but I was, but I could not get the torque through yeah. my ankle. And later, only later, once I got um, through buds at SEAL Team 1, did I realize that all I needed was softer, more flexible fins and I could get that propulsion for my body. Yeah. Uh, so with the stiff fins and buds that uh, did not allow me. So that was agonizing for me emotionally as well as, you know, physically, obviously it was very difficult, but I just, I wanted to uh, perform so, um, so strongly that I, I was agonizing over the fact that I wasn't any faster, uh, even with me putting out a hundred percent effort. Yeah. I couldn't understand it. And that was agonizing. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of SEALs where they're, you know, they, they've talked about when you go through buds, it's just the constant ringing of the bell, you know, and it gets into your head sometimes about how easy it would be to, to just quit. And once you get past that, I mean, obviously the bells, you don't, you, once, once I think people get to a certain point, you tell me if I'm wrong, sir, you don't hear the bells as much anymore, right? For me, it was different. I had a mentor who was a Vietnam era Navy SEAL, and he told me, a lot about his missions and the planning and the mindset. And so I had a, what I would describe as a very severe outlook on getting through buds. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and the Bible says Saul killed his thousands and David, his tens of thousands. That it was what I had in my mind. I was going to go kill tens of thousands of terrorists. If that many existed, that's what, that's the level of contribution I was hoping to make if I could survive long enough to make a, a dent in it mm -hmm. and so I had no sense of humor about failure I, I, I my outlook was that they were going to have to kill me to get rid of me there at buds that's yeah. literally the the outlook that I had and it served me very well it caused me to prepare very strongly and it caused me to perform strongly under the gun so the bell thing didn't 
resonate. It didn't call to me. Yes, I was cold and miserable. And yeah. yes, I would like for it to have stopped. Yeah, yeah. But I was not compelled to to go ring the bell. That wasn't something that was pulling at me. I was more afraid that I would not perform well enough and they would uh, disqualify me for not, not making the, the cut. Yeah. yeah. So you get, you make it through, you have a very successful career, you get to your team. Now, can you explain to the listener, maybe you can talk, can't talk about it, I'll ask you anyway. So you, 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 how do you get selected for, for SEAL Team 6, Deb Guru? I mean, how, is, that's a completely different process, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's essentially a different league of mm -hmm. operation. Um, it's a bigger budget than all the other SEAL teams combined. Mm -hmm. And all, they only need a handful um, from each team. So they look for top performers and the guys that are willing to, to put out more effort and, and work under greater responsibility and greater demand. Mm -hmm. And I had put in my request to do that after serving as a, a sniper and sniper instructor and then getting combat experience in Desert Shield and Desert Storm and being decorated for that and proving myself, I put in my package as soon as I was qualified. He had to do four years in a regular SEAL team first and then have the, the approval of your commanding officer. And I had that. So that's when I put in my request. And then they do further investigation on your, your character and your finances and so forth. And then they interview you. And then if they like the interview, then they'll go back and um, pass your name around the, the existing uh, operators there at DevGru and they can say, okay, look, here's Sawman, is he good? Uh, or is he is he no good? And I'll say, hey, I worked, I operated with him, he's fantastic. <laughs> or no, I, I operated with him and he's terrible. We don't want him at this level. And, and so if, multiple or numerous people give the thumbs down and go hey that guy's he's terrible man he's lazy it's not sharp we, he just he'd be a burden then that guy will never go to that team and if it's a thumbs up like yeah you know what he's he's a hard charge he's motivated give him a shot then they'll 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 send you orders to go and they train you for another six months six months now you're a seasoned wow. Navy sealed, you've proven yourself, you've Already beat out been. all the others for the slot. You're going to go with a, another group of guys and they're going to put you under uh, severe stress training uh, and watch you at, at every turn. Uh, everything's video. They're going to. Because everything's a test. Everything's a test. They're to see, and it's not to see how cool you are, how, how good of an operator you are, it's how quickly you can learn mm -hmm. their techniques with their equipment under their. Uh, ROE and so forth and, and it's it's really your learning ability that they're assessing so they watch you under the microscope every aspect of your life and if at the end of that if you're not one of the 50% that's washed out of that group then you get drafted into the different uh, aspects of that unit there and you go to work. Now is it something that's it's a rotational kind of slot you stay in there as long as you want or, or how does that work? You can you can stay at that unit as long as you want. There's a high burnout factor because yeah, I can the, imagine the pace yeah. is hard and the the, the threat is high and uh, the demand is high. Um, a couple of my buddies are two, the, I think the two longest um, standing operators who have spent the most time at that command uh, in an operational capacity. So I'm proud of them for that. But man, uh, I could see it where especially if you're if you've got a family that that unit will yeah, burn you right out. 
Yeah, I can't can't imagine how, how tough that is on family life. Now, uh, let's switch gears a little bit, Sir. So you 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 get out of the Navy. Um, how did you get into federal law enforcement? I was in the Navy at the time. I was looking at what I was going to do because I was either going to have to re-enlist for another four years, mm-hmm. which would put me too old to be a federal law enforcement agent or go ahead and rotate out and take that at the time. Tressa, my wife let me know, hey, we got baby on board. <laughs> and uh, I realized, okay, I've got, to, I've got to be home more and I have to earn more money than I am here as a SEAL operator, uh, if I'm going to raise my children uh, with any authority at all. And so I thought law enforcement would allow me to increase my income and my time at home and still serve. Yeah. And I could buy back my Navy time. So I had 13 years of Navy. I bought that back and I went federal law enforcement from there. So I put in my packets with the federal air marshal service at the time that was out of New Jersey. And um, they, they flew the high threat aircraft missions to keep uh, terrorists from from hijacking the planes and then uh and so that's how i made the decision i was like okay i can i can do this and and, and my family will benefit greater we weren't well without getting too much uh, i wasn't satisfied with the level of operations that we were allowed to conduct in the 90s mm-hmm. at that unit had we been full throttle running uh the the ops like uh they have been in recent years i would have never left dev crew that's those were my brothers that's where i was happiest that's where i I felt like i belonged Mm -hmm. um but i did not uh, anyway so i I thought it was time to start uh, the next phase of my life start raising a family so that's why i went law enforcement i transitioned over to air marshal service in that in that way well yeah and you know i mean everything everything for a reason i believe and um what what got you interested, sir? What was the catalyst behind you starting Veterans for, for Child Rescue? Well, a friend of mine from the CIA had grown up in my part of Texas, just north of Houston, and he was explaining to me maybe five or six years ago, Craig, this area of Texas is now the epicenter. It's the hottest spot for child sex trafficking in the entire country. And he was pretty involved with law enforcement and the intelligence community there in that regard. And he was sharing with me just how dark and ugly it was. And then other other federal law enforcement agents were letting me know that, hey, Craig, this is the front line between good and evil. What they're doing to the kids is worse than just what you would do out of a sexual perversion or just for a financial uh, gain as a crook or political blackmail. They're, once you peel back the different layers of the onion, you'll get all the way down to something that is very weird and creepy. And it's a spiritual confrontation between good and evil. And uh, if you want to fight this, you can't just fight it with a badge and a gun. There's a different thing going on here and you won't really be effective until you understand what it is that you're dealing with. And I I was intrigued by that because my father was a very sincere and devout pastor of a church and a spiritual leader, very strong. Mm. I realized that my father would not have put up with that had he known about it. And that the problem was that the American people did not know about this threat. They were oblivious to it. And I was incensed at the fact that our mainstream news media wasn't alerting us to the fact that we have this giant threat right under our noses. And I realized the best weapon that I could bring 
on behalf of the children. The best response would be to compromise the child trafficking operation, compromise the mission, the mission of the enemy, and, and alert the populace and make it almost impossible for them to continue doing that to children here anymore. And I thought, you know what, Craig, a documentary is the best vehicle to, to bring that alert to the people. And that's when I started filming uh, Contraland, but I had to figure out how to raise the money to do it and, uh, and really start everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. why, why is it, we talked a little bit before we started about why is America's head in the sand about this shit? I mean, this is all around. And again, when I saw you down in Conclave, it, you know, uh, you know, it just, it made me think about it again, about how pervasive this is in our society. And people don't know. And a lot of law enforcement doesn't know. But this is so big. I think we're the biggest consumer of this crap in the world, right? How come, why do we walk around with our head in our sand about this stuff? This is our future, our kids. There are multiple reasons why we don't know. One is that it is a repulsive subject. Healthy and normal people are sickened and disgusted at the thought of children being raped, especially if you start thinking about people taking off a, a, a baby's diaper to rape it. There's just something horrible about that that we don't want to deal with, but it has been the turning away of the threat and the problem that has allowed the the predators to grow so prevalent and have the run of the game board, so to speak. The, the, they can do whatever they want. The whole game field is theirs because we're not paying attention and we're not doing anything about it as a society. So um, that's one thing is if we do know about it, we turn away. Number two is it's deliberately being kept from we the people because there's so many high level people involved that own a lot of the mainstream news media, big tech, uh, big Hollywood, and so forth, that they provide this crime spree a lot of top cover to protect their own multi-billion dollar best interests. So child sex trafficking in the continental United States is estimated at a $38 billion a year industry. So a lot of people getting filthy rich and staying filthy rich off of this. There's a lot of political blackmail and subversion centered around this mm -hmm. and child sex trafficking is the fastest growing criminal enterprise on earth and the thread of it ties together all the criminal syndicates out there they all have one foot in this rancid cesspool of child sex trafficking so here i am pulling on that thread for all i'm worth brother yeah. i'm pulling that thread i want to see that yeah. whole rancid sweater unravel and and i think a lot of the crooks are panicking right now we've got a president that needs to to expose this and and, and put a stop to it and i think uh, what we're seeing is a lot of turmoil because a lot of power is is in the process of being changed uh, hands yeah it's a healthy thing but it's going to get worse better than it uh, before it gets better i think uh if you're, I use the analogy of a, a house that has termites, the structure is not sound and the whole thing is going to come crashing down. It's a danger and it does not matter if there's fancy trim carpentry on the inside. You don't need a trim carpenter to repair a house whose foundation is, is infested with, with 
termites. You need a guy to come through and bust out all the, do the yeah. crude and ugly work, clean exactly. it all out to get rid of everything and fumigate it and, and make it whole and make it sound, rebuild the structure so that it's a viable structure and it'll hold up and it'll shelter you from the elements. And then you can bring in a fancy trim carpet to make it pretty, right? And I see Donald Trump as that that crude uh, rebuild guy to rip out the termite, yeah. rip out all the infested wood, and he's got to drain that swamp and make uh, America great again. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of corruption that needs to be dealt with. And that's yeah. what I think people may not necessarily all understand is that they see a president that's not a finesse guy. He doesn't speak uh, polished and nicely. Yeah, he's getting like shit we, done like we would like man he's getting the big things done the stats are changing radically for our favor yeah and the one thing that made me think about it uh brother when you were talking about you know the people that are and i'm not talking about you know i'm switching the gears again and talking about the sex traffic and i think of epstein you know this moron you know you know it tied in with the powerful elite that made you me think of what you were just saying. I mean, nobody wants this shit exposed, man. You got Jeffrey Epstein died mysteriously in jail and he, he was into this crap. He was, he was into this stuff and he, he was tied into all these people or yeah. at least a lot of them. You know yeah, what I mean? Man. Yeah. And Harvey Weinstein in big Hollywood. Yeah. And um, there's rumors now that they're former Navy SEALs protecting Epstein's recruiter. And, um, people may not understand why she would get high level protection. Well, if that is true, and I don't know if it's true or not, but if she's getting high level protection, it's so that she doesn't get killed off like Epstein did. It's not because we don't protect high level witnesses because we think they're good people and we, and we like what they do. We, we, uh -huh. we protect them as a nation because we need them as key witnesses exactly. so that they can take down <laughs> the entire rancid network of child traffickers. So yeah. if they are protecting her, that would be the reason why. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And if you look at what Ricky Gervais, the, the, the comedian did at the oh, I loved Globes. It. So yesterday, all of social media was completely virally awash with celebration of the fact that he called big Hollywood out on their perversion and their hypocrisy because they have enjoyed so much insulation from the rest of the population for so long, they've grown arrogant and they do get up and they, they give us sermons about um, morality when they're, they're in no position to do so. And it's only because it was true what Ricky said that it resonated so hard with the public. And you can only have to go to any social media site to see all the comments and recognize just how spot on he actually was. And so it seems like that's been needed to be said for, for a long time now. And finally he, he let it out. Gee, I wonder if he's going to be invited to the golden globes next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kicked that, he kicked that away uh, knowingly. And I think he's laughing about it. Well, nobody probably knew what the hell was coming from this guy. And he just laid into him. And I loved it. He didn't spare anybody. No, no. You know? It's, uh, you know, and it's a shame that, that there was th that much potential for him to just speak the truth plainly and have it resonate so hard and send such a shockwave and have um, virtually everybody out there cheering yeah. uh, that it was so long overdue. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a painful thing to see any subculture of our of our country grow that uh, misguided and insulated and, and, and uh, get off on their own 
tangent, but uh, it's a healthy and healing process. The sunshine comes out and people hear the truth one way or another and, and recalibrate so that they're, you know, living a more healthy and accurate and, and honest uh, lifestyle, you know? Uh, yeah, I love it. Well, brother, it's been an honor talking to you. If people want to get involved in Veterans for Child Rescue, uh, how can they do that? Where, where can they, they find you and your great organization uh, so they can get involved? Yeah, man. The best resource is our website, which is vetsforchildrescue.org. And if you go to vetsforchildrescue.org, we have a take action page and we have a tools page and we've got a donate page and we've got a, a shop page where you can buy our merchandise and uh, so many other tools and resources there to empower you with the knowledge on how to help get involved. And uh, we appreciate everybody's prayers and support in, in every way and uh, them helping us share the word to let other people know that we're here and together locking arms across the country to make a safer place for children. God bless you, brother. Again, honor talking to you, sir. Thank you for your service to this great country. We look forward to Contra land. Hopefully that's out soon. Uh, and uh, looking forward to see it, uh, seeing it and just keep doing uh, the great work you're doing, brother. I appreciate it. And everybody else does too. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a privilege. All right. So man, take care. You too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.